0: the importance of spending time in nature, how meditation can really improve your life, and the simple things you're not doing that will extend your lifespan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is Jason Prawl. He's the creator and host of the Human Longevity Project, as well as the host of You Optimize Radio Show. And he spent years interviewing centenarians and a gaggle of experts on the secrets to longevity and wellness. And he created a nine-episode docu-series that makes all of that knowledge available to everybody. And Jason, what I want to know is, one, what got you started on this journey? Like many health
1: practitioners uh, in in the field, uh, it was my own health challenges. And so that sent me down this this new trajectory from an engineer to a a health practitioner, Mm -hmm. helping people with their chronic issues. That pursuit led me to sort of the idea of going around the world to speak with centenarians from all different cultures and interviewing them and figuring out what their life was like, what their culture was like, what their environment was like to help bring some of that wisdom uh, back with the idea of modern science backing the, the, what we see in the real world. Mm-hmm. And we can also show what healthy aging looks like because most of us in the West don't know what a healthy 95 looks like. What a 98 year old woman who can till up her soil still and pick oranges off her tree and read a newspaper without glasses. We don't know what that looks like. I've never seen it until I had to go to Okinawa mm-hmm. to speak with a, a woman that was just like that. And what were the things that you were struggling with in the beginning? For me, it was very simple stuff. It was joint pains and skin condition type things, right? And these were not problems that I, that I got answers to, right? So even at 13, when my knee issues started, Whoa. chronic knee issues, right, and I was told by the doctor it was overuse. And at 13? And I'm like, even at 13, you know, I, I understood. I'm like, well, but there's 42-year-old athletes at the mm. professional levels. How, how could this possibly be overuse? But nevertheless, I didn't have the, the knowledge base or the skill set to really think or, or act any different than, than what the doctor was telling me. So not getting to the root problem, not explaining to me why this is happening, and trying to mask over the, the, the issues. You start to realize, okay, you know, all this other stuff is sort of lies mm. and uh, propaganda and nonsense. And when you really figure out what's going on, which is a, it's a, you're peeling. You're constantly peeling. You, know, you, you get one level of understanding, then there's another layer right behind it. So it's not like the floodgates open to some degree, it's actually like a, a constant journey of, of discovery of another layer.
0: So knowing that that's true, knowing that, and you've talked a lot about like research is flawed and really understanding how research happens and how we get yeah. to a sort of flawed data set, how do you get good at the end of one experimentation when it can be so overwhelming to even know where to begin um, how a, how did you get good at that? And then what do you recommend to people now in the age of internet, um, to really find answers that work for them? I I think you have to recognize that you are your own
1: experiment and you have your own experiences in the process. And there's nobody that can tell you anything about you. You have to figure it out. So in, in one way, it's, you feel like you're a little alone in the process, but using other, people and other advice as a a guide perhaps can be useful to help you navigate the waters. But is this something that would have been done a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago, based on what we know, a pretty good lens to look through to figure out, should I be trying this? Is there somebody on the planet or some group of people doing this in a healthy way? If so, why are my, why are, why might that be the case or why might not be the case? So figuring out what may work and what may not work, through the lens of, of history and actual people trying these things is very helpful to help guide you, but it can in no way dictate your truth. So you just kind of have to start on the process and course correct and self-navigate. Mm-hmm. But part of that requires you to tune in, to listen, to, to get rid of all the, the biased viewpoints that you've heard. So to some degree, you kind of have to chuck out all the, all the extra knowledge because it's coming from a different source that is not you. So there are plenty of people that have one truth that is vastly different than another truth that somebody might experience. This is why you have so many, art, so many arguments in the nutrition world, it's because they are very true for certain people at certain times given certain contexts and very untrue for the, another person in a different context, different time, different set of conditions. So because studies are controlled experiments that may or may not even have a good premise to start with, let alone a good conclusion. You cannot apply research to an individual and think that it's going to always be the case or ever be the case necessarily until you try it. So you have to kind of figure it out for yourself and I don't know any other way to do it.
0: When you were working with clients, did you um, give them sort of the first rung of the ladder? Was there like a baseline protocol that you would point them in a direction, I'll give you a possible example from things that I know that you've explored. So, hey, you know that you come from Eastern Europe and what did it look like from an ancestral standpoint in Eastern Europe? What were the seasons? What would a microbiome of somebody that grew up in that region probably be like? Is it things like that that at least gives them that first step or is it literally just, as long as it's whole natural food, just start experimenting? I mean, I think there's more fundamental aspects of health, right? You have to get good sleep,
1: step number one. So what does it take to get good sleep, right? So th- those are basic things that we can start with. Yeah. Um, the way you think and emote in the world. There are ways that we know uh, through practice and through text and through history that has shown us that are generally a better place to be in. State of gratitude, right? A state of compassion, empathy, right? These type of things are kind of a universal concept. So despite where you are in the world, who you are, what your conditions are, there are sort of universal truths that I think we need to start with. The food equation becomes much more difficult, partially because everything affects everything. So you can't subscribe to one diet if your circadian rhythm is off and think that 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 same diet's gonna affect you the same way when your circadian rhythm is on. When you get good sleep, you may or may not be able to eat this food. Mm. When you get bad sleep, you may or may not be able to eat this food. So the diet is just a representation, uh, a, a part of the equation That we have to work in and you cannot separate it from the good sleep from the negative emotions because we know that when you eat a mcdonald's hamburger which we can all agree is not the healthiest food if you're in a state of peace and you're on a beach and you're with friends and you're laughing and you're you don't think this mcdonald's hamburger is going to kill you we know that we digest it better we know there's less inflammation at the gut we know that it doesn't impact us the same way however when we're driving down the road we're stressed out we're on the phone we're doing a million things we're eating All at the same time, the same meal, we digest it differently, more inflammation, more food sensitivities, all these things start to come up. So you can't isolate one part of the equation and think that you can find the answer in that one part. You've gotta work it all together. And this
0: is the point of looking at the entirety of the lifestyle to understand what works for the individual. All right, so you're starting to touch on what I think are gonna be answers to really my overarching uh, questions for the whole interview, which is what are the keys to longevity? I mean, it, it, it fundamentally it all comes down to lifestyle and that, that encompasses
1: everything, right? So that is how we think, that's how we emote, that's how we communicate, that's how we connect, that's, that's, that's diet is all factored into this. Uh, but if you take anybody you know and say, okay, let's, let's go through your closet and let's toss out all the old stuff, right? There's inevitably things in the closet that they don't wear, they don't use. There's gonna be a resistance to throwing, to, to giving away some of these clothes. Why? You're giving away clothes that you don't wear to somebody who may need them. In theory, that's an easy decision, but you have an emotional attachment to something in in that piece of clothing, and yet we can't get rid of it. So there's just in this abundance of, that we all have here in the West, this overabundance, this overconvenience, we are complexifying everything. And so in this, let's just say closet example, we have stored emotions, trapped emotions. We have uh, this clogged up stuff. And so when you are able to get rid of that, you actually are freeing yourself of these trapped emotions of this attachment to, to garbage that is really not useful to you so we find this in everything that we have in our lives relationships you ever, you ever get invited to a party you don't really want to go to and you kind of go anyway I mean why is that right we need to simplify every part of our life we are overcomplicating everything and what you realize when you go to these places you see that everything is so simple and the requirements for your happiness and health are very little you don't need a lot of things to be happy and healthy. And yet we are searching for them in all these things and we get bogged down by them. So just by simplifying your environment, your relationships, everything around you, you change your behavior. And this is where the change comes from. It's in the behavior. But the simplicity is the catalyst for that behavioral change. So it's a, it's a critical part and it's one of the most fundamental things that I recognized that I wasn't anticipating when I went to these places. When we showed up in Costa Rica, for example, Which is an
0: area that it made your list of-
1: Known for its longevity, right? And we're going there to find these 100 year olds to try to talk to them, right? And it's not like there's a list of them and I have their emails, right? Like you gotta go figure out how to find these people. So, and we had a limited time and a limited budget. So in theory, this is kind of a stressful situation, right? We've got a a clock that we've gotta run up against. And yet when we got there, I felt like time slowed down or stopped. It's almost like comparing driving on the freeway 70 miles an hour, and you just see all these cars going 70 miles an hour. Mm. You got to go 70 miles an hour, right? Versus walking down the street on a walking, you know, strolling down around a lake. You know, and everybody else is strolling around the lake. There's a different pace there. You're going with the flow to some degree, and the flow is affecting you.
0: I want to push down this path a little bit because it's something that you brought up that I had never heard before, at least not in these words. I think you called it social genomics. Yeah. So the Interrelatedness of the people that you're close to, and I don't know if you meant it quite like what we're talking about now, which is maybe a little bit uh, broader. But you had talked about the difference between a Costa Rica and a New York City, and how just the way that it affects you on a physiological level is pretty interesting.
1: It's massive, yeah. And, and, and social genomics can can typically it's referring to human to human interactions. But it, to be honest, it's it's everything, right? So um, it's it's but it's this the way you inter- interact with your environment will actually dictate your genetic expression. Um, and there are mechanisms through
0: which we can explain this via the nervous system. Um, Do tell. I'm super curious, especially if, if you know anything about forest bathing. Oh, yeah. And, Shinran Roku, yeah, yeah. This so is, what, what is that on a biological level?
1: Well, so this it gets, it gets fairly esoteric if you get to the real level, I think. But fundamentally, if we want to stay in the physical uh, discussion here. Hit me with both. We know that just being in nature or even looking at a painting of nature changes your brainwave state. We can measure this. It changes your nervous system. The state of your nervous system changes you more to the parasympathetic, the rest and digest. Um, when you start to change the nervous system function, if you talk to any chiropractor, for example, they'll tell you that changes everything. The nervous system is a fundamental connecting point through which our body operates. So, now the question is, is how does the nervous system shift? There is something there, and we all feel it when we go to a beach, when we get outside and, and the sun hits our skin, um, that we know that it's affecting us, right? And it affects the brain, it affects the nervous system, it affects hormonal fluctuations, it, it, it changes the way our microbiota uh, are behaving. And, and let's not forget, we are mostly microbiota. We are mostly viral and bacterial and fungal uh, genetic material. We are, to, to even think about what a human is, is a weird concept because most of your function is carried out by these organisms that are not you. Uh, they are they are with you
0: and part of you, but not you. One thing, just and I don't want to lose this thread, and I really want to get back to the really esoteric part. But um, there was something that you've talked about where uh, you said that. It almost doesn't even matter just what bacteria or viruses or whatever you have. It matters what, how their genes are expressing and that they all have their own um, genetics and epigenetics. And I think that's really, really interesting.
1: In the field of you know integrative, functional, complementary medicine, that we're, we're now obsessed with this idea of epigenetics. I think generally what we're referring to is that our human genome is expressing differently. But I find it more fascinating that You also have mitochondrial genome, right? And mitochondria are these little organelles that are inside the cells that have their own genome, that are not human. So we have human genome, mitochondrial genome, we have microbiota genome, and all of these can shift and change based on the interactions with the external world. Some of which those inputs are actually genetic material themselves. So when you eat an apple, you actually have microRNA from the apple interacting with your genes. So now you have all these genetic systems and components working together in unison, all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is balance in the ecosystem that it's in. This is all changing. Whenever you think a thought, whenever you have, whenever you have sex, whenever you uh, get get mad or upset or you feel depressed, um, whenever you exercise, everything is changing. We know when we think about uh, blessing our food, for example, or saying a prayer uh, before a meal, so it's this just gratitude, a very basic gratitude practice. That will improve digestion. So this is, I think, an important recognition point that everything is affecting everything. Your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors will determine the state of all the organisms in your body and to state your cellular health, your organ health, and overall organism health. Mm -hmm. And if we can accept that premise, then that means everything we do matters. And then nothing becomes out of your control. It all becomes part of you and part of your practice to get into a state of harmony and balance.
0: Super interesting. All right, so now let's go back. We were forest bathing, we were about to get esoteric. Like Take me to the craziest place you can, even just from an N of one perspective. And I'm asking this from the context of the last three years of my life have taught me that I know nothing and that I need to truly be open to things that I would have closed my mind off to when I thought I knew something and now I'm just super open to I know nothing and this is an exploration? I mean, I think for me, it, it came through the lens of
1: exploring personally with plant medicines and- And by that you mean psychedelics? It, yeah, ayahuasca and um, 5-MeO DMT and some of these other things, you know, um, psilocybin. They, they show you something different and it's hard to put into words because it's a, it's a different connection point. So that is sort of a frame of reference that I have. Another one is through Vipassana meditation, and the experiences I, the changes and the, the things that I felt and, and, and went through during that process. Can you define what style of meditation that is? So Vipassana is sort of a, a meditation technique that's, that's thought to be taught through the, the line of the Buddha himself. And it's a simple style of meditation that teaches you to be in the present moment without attachment. So it's not, there's no mantras involved, there's no visualization involved, there's no sending love or gratitude anywhere. It's simply being in the moment and recognizing what is and whatever pains or discomforts or thoughts or feelings or whatever is coming through to detach yourself from that. So it's almost like removing emotion from the external world so that you master your inner self and your inner uh, peace and balance. Just going through that improved my knee pain in a 10 day retreat. So what is that? Well, I would argue that there was emotions that I was holding onto that manifested in the body, and when I was able to detach from those and let those go, the pain lets go. There are these energies I think that we store in our
0: body, um, and this practice of Vipassana meditation taught me that that's likely uh, the case. And if you had to give me that in like the most plain, boring language ever, um, what would you say? Like, what is the process of turning inward? What do you doing there are so many things there right so
1: you know we have studies showing that when you put a rat in a maze or a mouse in a maze and you electrocute it at one point in the maze you take the mouse out never to see the maze again and they have pups and you put the pups in the same maze we can see their nervous system spike at that same exact point how we're still trying to figure that out Right? We have some theories and there's some evidence to suggest a few things. Perhaps the DNA is storing memory, perhaps water is storing memory, perhaps the whole body and the fascia is storing memory. But that's actually a really smart evolutionary advantage. Like, hey, let's pass down, Like, don't go there, mm. that's dangerous. So it actually may serve a, a fundamental purpose, but we know that that's the case. Now we can take that mouse out, which has never been electrocuted, and they have pups. We see the same thing. And we've gone six, seven generations through this, and you can still see that manifesting.
0: You refer to that as inherited trauma?
1: Inherited trauma. We also see studies showing that uh, Holocaust survivors have the same thing. Elevated nervous system response, um, straight out the gate, you know, coming out of the they Their world. kids. Absolutely, yeah. So this is, I think, a real thing, and we have to recognize that it's playing a role. Now, how do we unwind that? Um, this is where all the practices come in. This is why all the Eastern traditions, and even, even the, the Western religions have a ritual, have a practice of things. So this is what the meditation is there to do. It's the practice that allows you to escape that
0: reality. Uh, yoga, same so, thing. So define the reality. So the, you've got traumas built from your own life or from potentially inherited traumas, and so breaking the sort of hold they have on your behaviors? Let's take a more practical example, right? I've gotten to the point where I can actually spot this a mile away now,
1: Um, the first time I'm talking to somebody, but they might be uh, sexually abused at six years old. I can hear that in their voice, in their language, because of the fear, the uncertainty, and there's something going on. You can see, I can see it in an email by the language that's used, Wow, right? If you get good at recognizing the patterns and you start to recognize, okay, there's something there, how do we unwind that? Well, if it's manifesting as, you know, uh, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or cancer later on, where's the problem? You gotta go all the way back to that point
0: and get resolution of that as part of the problem. Because it has some biological echo. Because I think the reason Absolutely. That the... Because
1: the nervous system is shifted. So we essentially have two states of our nervous system. One mm-hmm. is the, the rest and digest, right? The stay and play. This is where we have sex. This is where we sleep and eat food and all these amazing, fun, nice things. Then you have the basically the, the mode that we're stressed out in, right? That's why you can't get an erection running away from a bear. Right? They're two different modes. You would never need those two functions to operate at the same time. Right? So we have a a, a, it's a it's a survival mechanism that kicks in. If you stay locked into that, then that means that your process of digestion, your process of healing, your process of recovery, process of sleep, process of sex, all those things aren't working very well or at all. So this prevents recovery and healing. So the, the act of coming into this world with a cord around your neck or getting abused when you're a child and you don't know how to operate in this world, you will create a nervous system shift that is there to protect you. It's why when somebody cuts somebody off in traffic and they freak out and you're like, whoa, that guy just completely flipped out for no reason. Well, you wouldn't do that maybe, but why? There's something embedded in that behavior, in that habit, in that pattern that comes from something else Mm. so these things get ingrained in patterns and personalities you actually see this with people that are successful a lot of successful people had some traumatic event or events that happened in their childhood and it may be as simple as a as a nasty divorce between their parents but oftentimes it's abuse it's verbal abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse an alcoholic parent a parent that gets arrested that's incarcerated these are traumatic for a child because they don't know how to understand this. So they develop these these uh, stories, these patterns, these behaviors that come from that. And some of the behaviors may be because I wasn't getting love, because my mom made me cry it out instead of hugging me when I was six months, I needed to go find a way to get love, which means I'm really good at the violin, or I'm an amazing football player, or I'm really good at math, right? And so you carry these behaviors. Now you might produce a really good football player. You might produce Oprah Winfrey, right? These are the things that can manifest. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It can just manifest in behavior mm. and the personality that we think we are is coming from a lot of that stuff. So, so I think that the important thing is, is that we have to recognize that that's a real reality, but we can undo the parts that we don't need anymore. Can
0: you put a finger on that? Like what are some of those basic discipline practices?
1: I mean, they're simple. This, it's, it's just meditation. The practice of sitting still and quieting the mind and figuring out what's coming up and allow things to come through. Now there's a number of different meditation styles. Like I said, I I like the Vipassana one because it brings me here instead of trying to escape um, and allows me to let go of what is, uh, let go of the attachment to the things that are around me and just accept what is. And when I did Vipassana meditation, my knee pain started to slowly sort of evaporate, go away. It's after what, 20 something years. So explain that. I don't know, I was just in meditation and and when the pain was coming up, I wasn't trying to run from it. I wasn't stretching my legs to relieve the pain. I I was just experiencing it without judgment. So an easy example of this would be when your arm, when you have an itch on your arm, your natural tendency is to scratch because you wanna relieve the pain. In other words, I don't like that feeling, Mm -hmm. so let me scratch it away, ah, that's better. But what if you just left it and just experienced it and go, oh, that's interesting. Without any emotion, without any attachment, you just let it be. Mm -hmm. And in that process, it's almost like it bubbles up to the surface and just goes poof, right? So uh, another uh, psychosomatic trauma, a doctor in New York, he was a chiropractor, I believe, was looking at backs and back pain. And he would have the same x-rays, the same physical dysfunction in their back. One person's running marathons, the other one can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And he asked himself, what the heck's going on here? It's the same thing physically. What's happening? Why is this guy experiencing no pain? This one's experiencing tons of pain. And what he recognized that it was trauma that was causing that, that it was trauma that was causing the pain. And through his work, he actually showed that all you have to do is sometimes even just let people know that that's a possibility, that that's what's causing it, and then it will go away. I really do feel that we are given the gift of the body showing us something that is out of balance. And that's, we just have to get it back into balance. And some of this is uh, surface level stuff. You know, are you, do you have a lot of toxic food in your, in your house? Do you, are you using a lot of toxins in your, in your environment? Um, are you not sleeping enough? Do you hate the person you're sleeping next to? Are you not using very good language with people? Mm-hmm. How is your thoughts and your emotional patterns? And it's amazing that when you accept this responsibility for healing yourself, you accept the gift that, that the pain or the, the health issues that are there, they're there for you. Without that, you wouldn't change you wouldn't be better, you wouldn't improve, there's no need, you're not being forced to. So these are the the gifts that we're given to allow ourselves to get to a better place, to advance psycho spiritually Because they're the
0: difficulties that force us to push.
1: It's the same in business, it's the same in relationships. You know, look at anybody in the military or on a sports team, they come together when things get hard. When she hits the fan, that's when the real things start to come together, right? In business, same thing. You, everything that you fail at in business, you would look back and go, I'm really glad that that happened because it showed me what to do and what not to do and I, I learned from it, right? So they're all gifts. It's just a matter of, are you willing to go through uh, the pain and, and, and understand it from a different perspective and move through it and, and, and go through the process?
0: You've said that you'd like to push yourself, that you'd like to rub up against your limits. Absolutely. What's the driving force behind that? I think it's curiosity of going to a place that I've never been. Right now, actually, one of the latest things
1: that people are doing is there's like a template and you sting yourself down your spine with bee stings. So this this actually stimulates the the immune system and the nervous system. It's a very good thing. This is this hormetic stress idea that we need these little, it's like working Yeah, define hormesis for people. Yeah, so hormetic stress is a very important concept that that there are these little stressors that come into your life that are there to help you uh, grow stronger. Right, and, and the easiest one is exercise. This is a very easy example, that in order for a bodybuilder to get big and strong, they have to lift a lot of weight. But you can't go to a 500-pound squat until you go through the, the process of getting there. So it's this idea of pushing yourself and then recovering, pushing yourself farther recovering, pushing yourself farther and recovering. And this happens with plant chemicals. When you eat garlic, for example, the allicin in garlic that, that makes it have that pungent taste that makes it antifungal and all these things, that's a poison. It's, it's there to protect the garlic plant mm. and, and allow it to survive. It's the plant's immune system. And when you eat it, you are getting the poison. You're just getting a low level poison that, that we've become accustomed to and learn to respond in a beneficial way to. Mm. Same thing with, with, um, with polyphenols and, and phytochemical, or you know polyphenols that come from blueberries or red wine that we all hear about, chocolate, these type of things. Um, these are not antioxidants. They're actually oxidants. In other words, they create oxidation stress. Mm. The body responds to that oxidation stress with antioxidant genetics kicking in. So there's an antioxidant response, or response to the pro-oxidation of the blueberry, you know, juice of of the of the blue part of the blueberry. I think this happens with emotions. You know, when you start to face an emotional diffi- emotionally difficult situation, you have to learn to kind of get through that, right? So to me, this is my exploratory uh, behavior of getting to places that I've never been, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And through that process, I'm allowed to take away something new that I can't get from a text. To me, this is the fundamental problem we face right now. We're in the information age. There's overwhelming amount of information. You can get learn to do, do anything online. But what, we, what we're what we not getting is experience. We're, we, we're trading in experience for information and knowledge. And we think that knowledge is the same thing as this experiential wisdom. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. It is a big problem I see right now is that people are not going through the experiential aspects of life. We are simply reading reading about it and thinking that we are really smart and then we try to teach what we read. Whereas to me, the more important things comes from the experience, which is why I can talk about going to Costa Rica and telling you that time was different. And you might say, well, time doesn't exist, or time is linear, or whatever, but we all know that place when time stops or time flew by because we're having fun. That same thing happened there. So that's an experience that you can't read about,
0: uh, I can't tell you about, you have to feel it, you have to know it personally. And so uh, just today I had breakfast with somebody very bright, (laughs) well-educated, but they have no idea what they really wanna do. And so my struggle was, okay, I want them to go experience and play and like just see a lot of different things. But the thing that will paralyze them is they don't even know what to go experience. Right. So For people who you know, that's, they need to get that experiential wisdom. They've got enough knowledge. What do you tell them to do? Like how do they actually go get usable knowledge? It's the easiest thing in the world. First of all, if you don't
1: know, just start doing something. Do something. You'll figure out you either don't want to do it or you do want to do it. Right? Pick up a guitar. See where that takes you. You may like it, you may hate it. That's if you have no idea, like you're at starting point zero. Mm. If you have some idea of who you are and your tendencies and your, your preferences, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I want? And, and what do I enjoy? What makes me happy? And oftentimes I think we are, we are going down a path of what we think we want, but really it's, it's what our parents want, it's what culture tells us we, we, we should want it's what we see other people have that we think we want, but it's not really what we want. And so I think asking yourself what you really want is, is a very easy question, uh, maybe a difficult answer at first, but if you just sit with it and, and play with that a little bit, I think it's, it's gonna come to you. Um, the other thing is you kind of let life come to you and accept it in a way. I didn't necessarily ask for knee pain and, and skin issues they kind of came to me and I went with it and I had the fortitude to find the answers myself that I, mm-hmm. that I wanted to find. So in other words, I wanted to be healthy. I went to the doctor, couldn't get answers. Right. So I was willing to accept the responsibility to get the health myself. And because I was willing to accept that responsibility and go down the path of finding out the answers to my own health issues, that led me down the path that I'm on now and forever changed my life, right? Whereas the other side of it was I was good at math, I went and studied engineering, I became an engineer, I did that for 10 years, found no value whatsoever in it, and it ended up driving me to a frustrating place of, of I don't know what the heck I'm doing here, where am I going? Go find and play with the things that you enjoy and, and, and recognize what you really want. Doesn't mean you know had to get there, right. but explore that. We just disengaged so much, and we, we get afraid, and we get, um, I think, overwhelmed, But if you just start participating, I mean, amazing things happen that you couldn't have possibly projected in your wildest dreams. Mm
0: -hmm. I want to go back to this notion of connection and um, the social genomics of it all. How have you constructed your group of friends? What do you look for? How do you make sure that that's healthy and thriving and that um, you've taken care of that part of the equation? Yeah,
1: this is is a big one, actually, because um, a lot of... With the previous work that's been done on longevity in some of these places that are known for their longevity has come to the conclusion that community is one of the most important things. And I, have a, I have an issue with that. I don't think that's accurate at all. Um, I think on the surface it seems accurate and we, we, is a, a, a word that we like to think is a good thing but is everywhere, is easy to find. What is more difficult to find is connection, right? And this is, it's like going on a date, right? You can go on a million dates. To find the one that you actually have a connection with may be mm. a little bit different, right? It's a little different of an experience. So connection to me is, is huge. It's, it's tough with friends and even family because the dynamics change. You grow at a different pace, right? right? The point at which you developed a friendship with somebody in high school, in college, post-college, whatever it was at work, you were, you were that person and they were that person and you connected at that point. You guys met at, at a point that seemed to make sense. As you guys both change, uh, that may separate and you may have to let that go. Again, it gets back to this idea of impermanence and not um, uh, attaching yourself to even friendships or family, which is a, it's a really weird concept to think about. But at the end of the day, they're all gonna go away. So I think not attaching yourself, even to a spouse, to a mother, to a child, to a friend, is a very important concept. It doesn't mean you can't have love for them, it doesn't mean you can't have connection, but, but lose the attachment because things change. And and I think the, the key is recognizing that each moment is what matters. Today is all there is, right? There is no tomorrow, there's no next year. Enjoy today for whatever is in front of you. To be able to be in state of gratitude in whatever relationship you have in front of you right now I think is a very important concept, especially in today's day and age where you have cell phones taking over and you see people at restaurants right across from each other not even speaking, looking in their cell phone. They're not appreciating what's right in front of them. So to me, it's, it's very simple in, in being in, in a place of gratitude and companionship and connection with the people that are in front of you, that are with you. And if it's not there, then you let it go and you go find something else. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a complete detachment from the need to try to create something or, or, or identify with a, a relationship status of any kind and allowing it just to be what it is.
0: Talk to me about purpose, which feels, um... A Kinship to this but different enough to put a point on it. I don't like the word purpose to me the word meaning is more impactful um, because
1: Purpose suggests that there's an inherent thing. You're supposed to do or you're supposed to find and What you find when you look around at these people in you know these areas that are That facilitate health and longevity is that they don't really feel like they have a purpose in life They just feel like they have meaning the meaning is all around them. That life, life has purpose, but I generate meaning out of things. So, and can
0: you give examples of like what some
1: of the people felt was that meaning? This, this comes back to simplicity. So when we are in, a, in the Western world where we have way too many conveniences and we are so fortunate, the littlest things lose their meaning, right? When you get water, you don't think about how lucky you are. When you uh, buy the bag of apple chips or organic carrots or whatever you're doing, you you don't really think about how meaningful that is. But when you grow your own carrots and you recognize how long that took, that you were dependent on things out of your control, like the weather, they have more meaning. Meaning's a choice. And it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be small. But we've lost uh, a sense of meaning and we're looking for meaning in the wrong places. How many likes did I get? How many uh, people are following me right now? How much reach did this thing get? How much money was brought in? We're putting meaning in the wrong places, which is why I think we're so unhappy. It's in the most basic fundamental things that if you just take a walk in the forest and just sit with yourself for a sec, you start to recognize that it's kind of cool just being here, waking up each day, taking a breath. The simple things in life are very meaningful. Having a great conversation with a loved one, super meaningful. So it's, uh, me, to me, it's more about the meaning because meaning brings you into the present moment. It brings you into everything that's around you. Purpose is a weird, grandiose concept that I think we're, we're searching for and we're comparing against other things. And does life have purpose? Yeah, I, I happen to think it does. What it is, I don't know. But for me, I just have meaning
0: everywhere. That's pretty incredible. Before I ask my last question, tell these guys where they can find you online.
1: Uh, They can find me at uh, Human Longevity Film. That's where our film lives. They can find me on social media and Facebook and Instagram, uh, just at my name. They can look at the, uh, on Facebook, we have the Human Longevity
0: Project and Instagram as well. So, perfect. My last question is, given all that you went and studied with the centenarians and um, all the experts that you've met with, what is the one thing that people could change right now that would have the biggest impact on their life?
1: I think having gratitude, simple as that. Find a way to bring gratitude into your life. Uh, whether it's a gratitude journal, whether it's sitting in a meditation and just feeling a state of gratitude, whether it's reminding yourself about gratitude. Um, to me, this is sort of the highest state that we can ever be in is, is a state of gratitude. Um, and so constantly just reminding yourself, right? Getting in these little habits of, of remembering to be grateful for whatever is, is around you right now. Because at the end of the day, you're here it's a simple, it's, it's cheesy. It's probably overused. It's sort of this spiritual stuff that we shove under the rug. But when you just start putting in practice, you recognize
0: how simple it really is. I love it. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I think really great. My pleasure. All right, guys. I did not expect the interview to go to the places that we went today, but that is exactly why I find Jason so interesting, and is something that I think you're going to see as you go and dive into the other interviews and things that he's done and follow him socially. You'll see that it's somebody looking at things from a really unique perspective, which is that we're probably over-focusing on the wrong minutiae, uh, and instead of really going in and just looking at you know your blood ketone levels or your glucose levels, that you're coming up higher and you're really getting in tune yourself that you are instead of sweeping spirituality under the rug, you're taking it out, you're looking at it, you're really looking to find what are the drivers of some of the states that your body is in and whether that's trauma or not, but really beginning to look at it, delve into it, and doing the end of one experimentation and finding out for yourself what's going to work. And it's hard to pin him down on exactly what to like eat because you've gotta do the work, you've gotta take responsibility, you've gotta do the experimentations and find out what works for you and to not be dogmatic, to not overly rely on knowledge like he was saying, but instead to really get that experiential wisdom, and I thought that that was really interesting. And. Everything that he does is in that context of having spoken to all these people that have lived these extraordinarily long lives and looking at the experts and blending the more esoteric, the hard to really put our hands on and the data and really looking at where the two come together. I think it's a really unique perspective that I think is incredibly powerful. Uh, And I hope that you guys will dive into that in your own lives and start putting it into practice. Uh, Those kinds of things have had a tremendous impact on me already and I think that you guys will benefit as well. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. My